Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. American driver's ed. It's not good. In fact, it's terrible. It's one of the worst in the world. A 2021 study by Zutobi Drivers Education found that the only places where it's easier for somebody to get a driver's license than the United States, Mexico, Qatar, and Latvia. That's not a good place to be, especially when you consider that the United States, with our 330 million people, is home of the second most vehicles of any nation in the world. So what's the problem? Well, part of it is states' rights. You know, states set their own individual standards, and so those standards obviously vary quite a bit, like in New Mexico. Drivers can take 57 hours of class, no instructed driving at all, and get a license. In Wisconsin, Mississippi, and other places, students who are 18 years and older don't even take a road test as long as they've fulfilled the requirements of having a learner's permit and driving a certain number of hours with adults. You know, you keep a little chart. We just went through this with my son, who just got his license. In Florida, where I live, after 18 years old, drivers don't even need a learner's permit if they can pass the road test. So obviously, a lot of lax standards out there. In Michigan, it's a little bit tougher. Drivers actually have two segments of required classes with 30 hours of supervised practice driving and a minimum of two hours at night in between, and they need 20 more hours after that, including eight at night to get a full license. California takes 30 hours of classroom, six hours of driver training with an instructor, and 50 hours of practice, including 10 at night. And as you can see, it varies widely. Now, part of the problem is that you no longer take driver's ed in class, at least not commonly. 95% of students in the 70s and 80s had access to public driver's ed. Now, only 10 states offer free driver's training classes. This is despite the fact that 90% of Americans say that driver's ed should be still covered at public schools. I mean, it's a basic operational requirement to live in most parts of the country, right? You just can't really function without a driver's license. And I'll tell you, one of the things I learned from living in Europe for a little while is, frankly, that our expectation that everybody passes first time around is crazy. It's very common in the UK, at least when I live there, for people to take the driver's test two, three times, maybe more, and fail because it's very, very hard to pass. You know, sort of the don't just give every idiot who's able to fumble a key through an ignition and turn a steering wheel a driver's license, right? Well, now bring in technology and you have, for example, hazard perception test, which is a kind of a virtual reality simulator, something they do in the UK and Australia, but not here. And it puts you in situations with a video that shows you this is kind of how things look before a wreck. Can you recognize that and can you sense danger and react to it appropriately? That's probably a little bit better for teaching drivers how to drive defensively and to avoid danger than, say, giving them a copy of Grand Theft Auto or Forza to learn their driving skills from. I mean, the basic problem with practicing driving is that you practice it during conditions that are boring and not dangerous. How do you get the experience of avoiding crashes if you're never in those kinds of situations to begin with? Well, that's where the simulators can come in. But to the point about how America is too easy in distributing our licenses to people, one of the most rigorous places to learn driving is in Australia. Drivers have to be 16 years old and pass a driver knowledge test, then they get a learner's permit. 
After that, they take 120 hours of supervised driving, including 20 at night, and that gets them a provisional P1 license. They also have to pass a hazard perception test before they move on to the P2 license. Both of those licenses have limits on how many passengers they can have in the car and the power that the car can use based on its weight. And once you're sitting at that P2 practicing on the appropriate car with the appropriate number of people for 24 months, then you get the full unrestricted license. And of course, none of this even gets at the question of should 16 and 17 year olds drive and what kind of emotional and situational maturity do they have, especially given the data that says that 16 and 17 year olds are three times as likely as adults to be involved in the deadly crash. And I'll just tell you from doing this with my son, who's very smart, very mature and very physically capable, it was a terrifying experience. And I was surprised at just how much interactive educational correction guidance I had to do to take a kid who's pretty good at a lot of things and really teach him to be safe driving on the road. And that's not even factoring in things like what modern cars bring to the table. For example, the 360-degree backup cameras, the safety sensors, the blind spot warnings, the lane assist, you know, all of the things that modern cars do, which is very different from how most of us learned to drive when we were growing up. But there are some movements out there trying to modernize and make it a little bit more rigorous how kids go through driver training. The Association of National Stakeholders and Traffic Safety Education, ANTSI, I know, it's a terrible acronym, but there it is. That's kind of an umbrella organization that brings together a lot of other organizations that are interested parties here, such as AAA and a bunch of driving schools. And they have been gradually putting out recommendations, you know, 08 and 17 and another set that's going to come out soon, basically trying to bring some kind of standardization across the nation where we can have a little bit more confidence that our kids are going to be safe once they learn how to drive and get licensed and that people driving from one state to the next, that's really a safe thing to do. All I can say is this, no matter how much training you put into teaching your child, there will come a day when they go out on their own in the car for the first time without you and that, you will discover, is even more terrifying than you being in the car with them training for the first time. And now something from the Dolphins are cool file. Yeah, there's a very interesting bit of research being done by Florida International University. And it has to do with two different groups of Atlantic spotted dolphins in the Bahamas, previously separated by about 100 miles in a deep channel. Really no interaction between the two. One group dwelled in the Bimini area. The other was in the White Sand Ridge area. And the researchers have been observing those two groups for about five years. And during that time, though there had not been much interaction between the two groups, they started to see some from the White Sands go over to Bimini. And in fact, a huge group of the White Sands dolphins actually emigrated over to the Bimini area. And what's weird about this is that typically mammal groups don't merge in this way. If they're on land especially, they tend to see the other group as outsiders who are competition, you know, adversaries because resources are scarce and a large population of others not related to you is therefore competition for the exact same food pipeline that you're looking for. But in this case, they didn't just come into the same zone. They became members of the community. The new dolphins integrated almost seamlessly and had physical interactions with the other dolphins, male, 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 female, etc., that were looked as if they had been there the whole time in all age classes and all sexes. And this has left the researchers kind of baffled about what would be the motivation for the merging and the capacity for the groups to merge, because that's just not something you typically see 
in other mammal groups. And their best guess is that maybe somehow these dolphins have developed a behavioral norm that is less aggressive towards non-group members of the same species. And it also raises questions about things like what's the sustainable size of a dolphin group like this? Because typically you would think that the group will grow to the size that its natural environment will sustain safely. And if you suddenly add dozens of dolphins to that group, that would seem to disrupt the natural order. But it hasn't, in fact, in this case. So observation has led to questions, which leads to more research, which is how we learn things and why we study them in the first place. So let's imagine you live in the Florida Keys and you happen to live in Ocean Point condominiums and you're walking along the beach one day just kind of looking at the surf and looking at the mangrove trees along the coast and you suddenly see a package and it's a weird large looking package and the closer you get it seems like it's actually a bundle of other smaller packages wrapped in what appears to be duct tape and saran wrap and you start to think I've seen packages like this on the news before. I wonder what it is. As you get closer, you see that coming out of the plastic is a green tag that proudly proclaims 100% with a bunch of stars. And you think to yourself, could this be drugs? Well, sure enough, you call the sheriff's department. They come out and test it. And yes, it's cocaine. 71 pounds of cocaine washed up in the mangroves. A few days later, Border Patrol agents discover the same thing elsewhere in the area. And over the course of a couple of days, a grand total of 126 pounds of cocaine is recovered from the Keys. Estimated street value, $2 million. So at this point, we obviously really don't know where they came from or where they were headed, but we do know that in the grand scheme of drugs seized by the Border Patrol, this is really not that much. 60,000 pounds of illegal narcotics across the United States in June alone from the Customs and Border Protection. So 126 pounds washing up on the Florida coastline is not all that big of a deal, but it does take honest citizens or at least citizens who would have no earthly idea what to do with that kind of cocaine if they found it and tried to do something illicit with it to bring it to the authorities' attention and to give it to the people that ought to be in charge of disposing of it permanently. Also, just side note here, if you do happen to find a massive package of drugs on the beach, I would resist the urge to put that on social media with a picture of yourself and the drugs, because, you know, the people to whom they belonged originally might take an interest in you if that were the case. Maybe better just to call the cops and remain anonymous. And that's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Hit the five-star rating before you go, because this product is 100%. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to the Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.